Welcome to today's episode of the Pioneer Podcast. Today, Katie and I are talking about a very recent legislative announcement related to cannabis and its rescheduling. All right, Sarah, we are making some progress. (laughs) Yes. Finally, finally, after a year and a half of waiting, 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 we finally see somebody come out and give us some more information about the rescheduling. So what are we hearing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's quite timely, Katie, that in a very recent episode of the podcast, we were talking trash on the <laughs> lack of progress and actually made, I think, a very great suggestion. It was to, probably the podcast that got them going. I think so. We probably. suggested they all smoke a little pot, yeah. and I think it worked. <laughs> um, because in very short order from that moment, the Health and Human Services came out and offered a recommendation. So before we talk about that, maybe we'll step back for a second. Last October 2022, the Biden administration asked for a review of cannabis to say, does it have any medical value? Does it have any scientific support? Is it highly addictive? Which are the key classifications for being listed as a Schedule One drug, which cannabis is, along with things like, oh, you know, heroin. heroin. Perfectly timed. Excellent work, Katie. Um, so he submitted that request with no timeline. So we really did not have a clear sense of what would happen, when it would happen, and, and how the industry would respond. And we were commenting just a few weeks ago that a lot of companies were exiting the U.S. Okay. cannabis market because of the lack of action, and they'd really given up hope. So I was very pleasantly surprised to see that actually HHS did make a recommendation and they have gone through their analysis and recommended that cannabis be rescheduled. So moved from a schedule one drug to a schedule three drug, which would put it on par with things like Tylenol with codeine and testosterone as products that do have medical value and only limited risk to abuse, Mm -hmm. which would be a massive shift in terms of the way our government and all of our policies and processes look at cannabis. Is everything in Schedule 3 still by prescription? Great question. So it wouldn't make cannabis legal. That is a very important distinction. So cannabis is federally illegal. It would still fall into that bucket, in large part because of the way the laws were written. It specifically calls out cannabis and its chemical structure. So it would still be federally illegal, but there are a slew of benefits that would come with that rescheduling that could have major, major impacts in the cannabis industry. And all the cannabis stocks were rallying to to hear this news. I think there is a ton of benefit, but there's still a lot of uncertainty because while this recommendation was made, unfortunately, the way the laws are on cannabis were structured in the 70s when the Department of Drug Enforcement, the DEA, was established, they were actually given control to decide what products were medically viable. Which I know you're confused by. <laughs> All of our listeners, I'm I know sure there's a lot well. of I know a lot of clinicians that work for the DEA. Exactly, <laughs> not a lot of medical professionals in that organization. So interesting that they were the ones to deduce whether something had medical value. So in the past, when there's been a review like this, the DEA agreed with Health and Human Services because that is where all the doctors and clinicians exist. In this case, we have the recommendation, but we have to wait. We have to wait for the DEA to do their investigation and decide if they agree. There is no timeline associated with that. So there are some speculation that it would happen before the next election cycle or after. You know, it really could go either way. And and that's the biggest part of the uncertainty. But I think the potential benefits are so significant that as a whole, the industry is just riding high on this news. Pun intended. <laughs> nice. Love you. Love you. <laughs>
It is tough at this timing with the election cycle coming up because every head of every government organization is an appointed position by the administration. And if the onus is now on the DEA, it depends on who's running the show. So we will see how that plays out over the next 10 months or so. Well, you take the cynical side, (laughs) I often take the hopeful (laughs) side. While it did seem like a really long time when Biden made this directive to have the research take place last year, actually, when this has happened before, it's been two and a half to three and a half years before the recommendation was made by Health and Human Services. So this was actually unusually fast for the government. So there's hope that the DEA will act as equally as you unusually fast and that they will rely on the advice of medical professionals. That is really the hope, but it's a big question mark because it's just not really in their best interest because they are part of when the DEA was created was to create a criminal system and policies and procedures to put people behind bars. And even with this recommendation, it does not include addressing that at all. So there isn't a social impact component of, you know, expunging records or releasing people from prison who are who were arrested for things that are now legal. So it's not always in the DA's best interest to act in this way. But hopefully, hopefully they'll rely on the medical professionals here. Interesting. So let's hypothetically say that the DEA agrees with the HHS recommendation for Schedule 3. What happens next? A lot of things. So if there are a couple ways they can take it, they can agree and just write it into law, which is probably unlikely. I mean, if I was looking at my to-do list, I'd be like, check, yep, let's just do that. It's like, let's make everybody happy. (laughs) Especially, you know, leading up to this election cycle we keep talking about, it would be great to bring anxieties down. (laughs) Most likely, they will also take a position and then ask for public comment and go through a legislative process to have comment and then review and then write it. So even if they say we agree schedule three, it could potentially be still a long road to that actually being in place. But I have to go back to my optimist center itself. <laughs> the benefits are massive. Being on schedule one limits the ability for cannabis to be studied because it is considered such a highly addictive, no medical value product that you can't study it in a meaningful way. Being on Schedule 3 will open up the doors for access to companies, including pharma companies. I think that is a really interesting insight for me as I am processing the recommendation that our belief that healthcare and cannabis will start to merge, this could do that. This could create space for the R&D of pharma companies to spend dollars and time in cannabis, which I think would be incredibly impactful for patients. I think the other big thing that happens is a lot of people don't know because you see a dispensary on every corner nowadays. You think, wow, there's so much money in cannabis. Everybody must be making money, which is not true. Um, There is a lot of cash in the cannabis industry, but not a lot of profit in large part because of a very specific section of the U.S. tax code called 280E which is a great part of the tax code because it says you shouldn't make money from trafficking an illicit illegal drug, which I agree with, (laughs) except I don't think cannabis should be an illicit illegal drug. And so unfortunately, cannabis companies can't expense their business expenses. So they can't expense the table in the dispensary, the labor that's associated with it. So their profit is so, so tiny because they don't have these same financial levers that other businesses do. Being on Schedule 3 will eliminate the impact of 280E. So that overnight will have a huge huge windfall of impact to the the cannabis companies. And that's where we come in. Absolutely. (laughs) 
we can help. We can help because we've worked with pharma companies. We know about cannabis. We know about this integration. And I think that creates a huge opportunity for cannabis to even further come out of the shadows, be able to potentially use more prominent banks instead of your local bank. You know, there's the Safe Banking Act has passed in the House seven times, but it's never made it out of the Senate. And there's potential that if cannabis is rescheduled, that will open the door for the Safe Banking Act, which will allow cannabis companies to use banks. Because you might not know this, but they can't. They are heavy cash businesses that use often really small local credit unions because of that the federal prohibition. Which can be incredibly high risk, too. Incredibly high risk. To their money, to, to their employees, mm-hmm. when they're just cash rich in those dispensaries or even the transfer of cash. So that tax code piece is is really significant. I think the other thing that's incredibly significant about it is potentially it would open the opportunity not to move product across state lines. So right now, cannabis companies have to grow, manufacture, package, and sell their product within a state border where it's legal. This would allow a consumer potentially to take those products across state lines, which you can't do now. If you were to buy something in Delaware and drive into Philly with it, you actually could be subject to a federal crime Mm -hmm. for doing that. And this shift to Schedule 3 could eliminate that, which would be really helpful for patients for sure. And to be clear, the the state level legislation of whether it's medical or recreational or both still lies within the state. Exactly. Yeah. So it would still, unfortunately, rescheduling doesn't make it legal. There was a big push in the cannabis industry to just de-schedule, you often hear, which is to take it off all those lists entirely. You know, since it's not quite heroin, (laughs) there are so many other things that aren't scheduled that are incredibly addictive, like tobacco and sugar and caffeine. I mean, we talk about it all the time. Those things aren't even on a schedule. So there was a significant hope that cannabis would just be de-scheduled altogether. But I think this could be a short-term happy ground. Mm-hmm, for sure. I think the other personal benefit I'm hoping for, you know, I got into the cannabis industry for my dad, who suffers from some really debilitating back pain. So he's been on opioids for many, many years after six back and neck fusion surgeries. And it doesn't even help him that much. He's in so much pain. And unfortunately, he was injured at work. So he works through a compensation pain management, and they flat out refuse to prescribe him cannabis because it's federally illegal. Um, And even more maddening, Katie, every time we ask about it, they offer more opioids. Yes. Which... Because we know they are the safest product on the market. Safest product. And boy, didn't we have a bunch of lawsuits for people pushing (laughs) opioids? So it holds all of my willpower when I'm in those appointments to not scream that at the top of my lungs. So I'm hoping that this rescheduling even shifts the perspective of some prescribers to realize there is medical value. It can be safe. It is not highly addictive or abusive like an opioid is. So that personally is something I'm really hoping we see come with this change. Thank you for listening to today's Pioneer podcast episode. I personally hope that Sarah's optimism beats out my cynicism when it comes to making pot professional.